New jingle, new voices. Welcome to this special guest season of Retrain Your Brain with me, chartered psychologist Dr. Audrey Tang. In this season, I am privileged to speak to so many well-being guest experts to learn all about their field and to give you loads of practical tips and tools to live your best life. It's a pleasure to welcome back Diane Danzebrink of Menopause Support, who made such an impact on our New Year show. So thank you again for joining me, Diane. Thank you, Audrey, for inviting me back. Well, it's great to be able to talk about this, especially on International Women's Day, because the theme is equality for a sustainable world. And things that we don't often talk about are things like period poverty and also, to some extent, really understanding what women go through in perimenopause, menopause, because often we're at that point in our careers, mid 40s, we're doing really well, then suddenly we get brain fog and suddenly we're needing to spend a day right next door to the toilet. And Gabby Hinsliff wrote a brilliant piece in The Guardian called There Will Be Blood. And she talks about really heavy periods during uh, the perimenopause stages. And she said she felt like her body just let her down. And so a couple of questions to start with, really. The first is, why do you think I'm still frowned on if I arrange my appointments to suit that one day I really need to actually remain near the toilet? And the second one is what does cause that change in periods? I think it's very much about a lack of understanding of just how dramatic this blood loss can be. Yes. And just how erratic (laughs) it can be too. There are physical effects of this. It's not a very pleasant thing Mm. to be losing an awful lot of blood, to be clotting, et cetera, et cetera. But it also brings very practical realities with it. Much of what you and I do in the time before COVID would have been standing up in front of an audience. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) You can't focus completely on what you're doing If you think, oh, my goodness, at any moment, there could be a rush of blood and not one that we want to see. There's also the emotional effects of this that hugely increases anxiety for people. I counseled so many women who have said, I'm at the point of leaving my job because I'm sick of flooding through my clothes onto my chair. Mm. or having to walk across the office with my coat or my cardigan tied Mm. around my waist so that nobody can see that it's happened. We kind of go back, don't we, to this kind of biopsychosocial effect of menopause. But I think there are very real concerns. But I think much of it comes down to the lack of understanding of actually just how You know, it's certainly not fair to say that it happens to everybody, but I think just how much this can impact on an individual's life. And then the second part of your question, which was, well, why does it happen? Well, if we're talking about in perimenopause, it's probably happening because of those fluctuating hormones. So essentially what's going on is that the body is essentially trying to encourage the ovary to release an egg because we're obviously as the egg egg store is running out Mm. we're producing eggs less regularly more erratically Mm. so what happens is the estrogen levels rise Mm. and that can mean that the womb lining will thicken 
But because we're not ovulating so regularly, that means that we don't always produce enough progesterone to balance out that estrogen. And then consequently, we can have this erratic mm. shedding of what's called the endometrial or the womb lining. Mm. And of course, the further on you go into that perimenopausal stage, potentially the worse that can get. Now, for some people, they'll never experience that. Their periods will simply get lighter. They'll get further apart. They'll have a very, very light what we might call show or bleed. I just quickly wanted to backtrack slightly and just say that, you know, my own experience was that I had heavy bleeding for many, many years, probably from my mid to late 20s onwards, flooding, clotting, et cetera, et cetera. I know my mother had had a similar experience Mm -hmm. and I just kind of got it in my head that, because I'd been to the doctors several times and talked about this abdominal pain I was having. And essentially, I was pretty much told, well, that's just how it is. Nothing to report. And it wasn't until I was 45 when I had to have a total hysterectomy. And that was because they thought I had ovarian cancer, not to do with my abdominal and back pain and really heavy bleeding, that I was diagnosed with grade four endometriosis. And a condition called adenomyosis. So for your listeners who aren't aware, endometriosis is where the endometrial lining, the lining of the womb, grows outside of the womb. But with every cycle, essentially it will bleed, but there's nowhere for the blood to go because it's in the pelvic cavity. Adenomyosis, which is a less known condition, is where the endometrial lining actually works its way through into the muscle that surrounds the womb. So consequently, both of those things, both endometriosis and adenomyosis and fibroids and polyps and polycystic ovarian syndrome, and this is rare, but I just want to mention it, and endometrial cancer can all cause heavy bleeding and clotting, etc. So if somebody, if one of, if your listeners are listening, this is before perimenopause comes along and you're experiencing very heavy bleeding that's painful or erratic, or you're experiencing lots of abdominal pain, Mm. please don't just put up with it. Please Mm. go and see your doctor. And if your doctor says to you, oh, well, it's just how it is, get another opinion. We know that on average, women who experience endometriosis in the UK Mm. take around seven to eight years currently to be diagnosed. That's so important. And that's also what I wanted to ask, because on the one hand, when you're talking about how you've counseled lots of women, there's a sense of relief. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, it's not just me. I didn't realize it happened so frequently. But on the other hand, heavy bleeding can be indicative of something completely different. So you're talking about it's the pains as well and those sorts of things and the age range. Yeah. And I think, I think if, if your heavy bleeding has only begun, in your perimenopause, then we know that that is, that's a common symptom. However, if your heavy bleeding has been going on for some, you know, if it starts in your teens, your twenties, your thirties, don't just put up with it. There are things that GPs can prescribe, but 
what we don't want is we don't want somebody being prescribed with something that's going to stop their heavy bleeding if we don't know what's causing it. Yes. You know, that is sticking plaster medicine. Similarly, if a woman is postmenopausal, so she's had 12 months without a period. Yes. If she then has, so it, we're, we're saying she's not on any HRT here. Mm-hmm. If she's 12 months without a period mm-hmm. and she then has bleeding in postmenopause, she must have that checked. Right. If it's somebody who's postmenopausal and they start HRT, having had 12 months without a period, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon in the first three to six months for there to be some bleeding. And that's purely because the body's getting used to having those additional hormones yeah. again. If that bleeding goes on past that six month period, again, she should have that checked. Well, stay with us because we're going to be talking about the different things that we can do if our periods are erratic. And also, we're going to chat about period poverty and what we can do to make a difference. The one time I had a conversation, they mentioned the coil. And yeah. I've actively resisted this. <laughs> um, I just don't like the idea of it. That, that's me personally. Yeah. I, are there other things that we can do? If this is diagnosed, if you like, yeah. as being related to perimenopause, there are things that can be done. So as you say, the marina coil is often the kind of first uh, suggestion, the go-to. Yeah. And that's partly because that is, that's a synthetic progestin. Right. So it's in this little tiny device that's inserted. Mm-hmm. And so it, that essentially kind of sits in the uterus. Mm-hmm. And that device has a license for five years for contraceptive purposes it can be very helpful with heavy bleeding and if the woman wants to have hrt so if she wants to have estrogen Mm. alongside a progesterone if you've Mm. got your womb the marina coil does all three things right so it does the it does the contraception potentially helps with the bleeding also is the progesterone part of your HRT. And then you just add estrogen as a gel patch or spray. Other things that can help with really heavy bleeding, there's a medication called transexamic acid, and that helps to reduce blood loss. For some people, um, they might have previously used the contraceptive pill that can be helpful and it's not this is the these are by no means one size fits all sure. for some people hormone replacement therapy can help and for others none of those things work so no. in really severe cases the patient may be offered something called an endometrial ablation essentially mm. the endometrium the lining of the womb is removed right right um, surgically Right. Ultimately, there will be a small proportion of women who will be offered hysterectomy. So actually to have the womb removed. Mm. Mm. And again, that's sort of that's a process. So you would probably go through all of those medical interventions before you went to ablation, before you went to. I mean, it really is kind of the the last option is to have is to have the womb removed. But for some people, that is that is the answer. 
knowing that there is a choice, having that knowledge is so important because otherwise we feel in the GP surgery, well, they know everything. So I'll just take what they've told me and then go away and hopefully not go on Google and look other things up. But to hear that from you, to to know that there are other things out there, that's really important for us to be Mm. able to at least discuss. And you've done a lot of counselling with women in the uh, perimenopausal, in the uh, erratic period stage. How do we get out of that mindset of, I've lost control of my body and and it's something to be ashamed of because I get that. I get the walking across the room with my cardigan tied around my waist. I've done that. Yeah, me too. Awful. (laughs) Yeah, it's natural. And that's that's the point, isn't it? I think it's about, um, you know, you and I, I think, spoke before about changing the culture, changing the conversation. And hopefully, you know, sort of our chats are helping to do that to some extent. Normalising the conversation. Yes. This is what takes the time. It's about education and information. You know, Audrey, you and I have both, we're both talking about having had this experience. I wonder if we had 10 or 20 women on the call, I suspect a large number of them in perimenopause would be saying, oh, I really recognize that. That's me. So I think it's about those of us that feel that we are in a place where we can speak out about it Mm. and we can talk about it. I think that helps to normalize it for others. Mm. But I think what we need to do is we need to take that conversation wider. And you might or might not be aware that this new menopause task force that was promised last October had its first meeting. Basically, we're talking about politicians and Mm. doctors, uh, decision makers, if you like. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much hoping that they are going to take evidence from stakeholders like myself, those of us who really um, advocate on behalf of patients. And the one thing that I will be saying to them yet again Mm. is that we need a government-backed public health campaign Mm. all about menopause because it affects half the population directly it affects the other half indirectly. Yes. And actually, since you were on the show, I have been having this conversation a lot more with not only my friends, but with my clients as well. And a lot of them (laughs) have said, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. And they're talking about symptoms such as exhaustion. They're talking, but but they're thinking, no, no, it's nothing to do with menopause. I'm just stressed. Tired. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for that. Now, Yes, absolutely. We've got sympathetic friends. We've got people who can buy us new trousers when we need them. But of course, there are some people who have no access to sanitary products. And again, another thing we don't talk about enough is period poverty. So could you explain for our listeners a little bit more about period poverty and how we can help? Yeah, essentially. I mean, period poverty is something that we've heard about more and more in the last few years. And there have been a couple of fantastic campaigns around period poverty. They've been led by young women. This has been picked up by young women and they've recognised the injustice of this. Um, So they've run with it. They're the ones who have made the changes. They deserve a huge amount of credit for what they've done in this area. But essentially, period poverty is not being able to afford to buy sanitary wear. So that could be tampons or towels. So this affects, this doesn't just affect people in the UK, of course, Mm -hmm. this affects 
people all around the world. Yeah. You know, this is this is not just a UK issue. This is a global issue. Yes. I picked out something from a survey that I just wanted to yeah. kind of share with you and your listeners. In 2017, a survey by Plan International UK reported that one in 10 girls had been unable to afford sanitary products. One in 10. Gosh. One in seven had to ask to borrow sanitary wear from a friend oh. due to affordability issues. Oh. One in 10 had to improvise sanitary wear. Oh. So using things like a flannel, a sock, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. It's estimated that currently over 137,000 children across the UK have missed school days oh. due to period poverty. Now, this is that this has just been focused on young people on children but of course this doesn't just affect children no, of course this affects this affects everybody i was watching this morning a program really distressing about you know kind of the hike in energy prices yes. how that's going to affect people's mm. budgets etc um, and they were doing something from a food bank mm. and of course one of the things that people have been so thankful for to mm. food banks mm. is actually having their tampons or their towels included in their parcels. And one of the things that one of the period poverty campaigns did mm. was it campaigned for sanitary wear to be available in schools. However, I was reading last night, just kind of preparing for today, mm. and I was reading last night, actually, the take up by schools in England has been really poor. I don't know why that is. Mm. Um, that could be because of all the pressures of COVID mm. and the fact that a lot of people have been out of the school environment. I don't know. That might improve as things go forward. But again, even if it is available in every school, that's brilliant because mm. that's going to stop those 137 plus thousand children yeah. missing school. I mean, And I mean, what a reason yes. to have to miss school. I mean, that's just tragic, isn't yes. it? Exactly. Um, but obviously that doesn't do anything for the millions and millions of women in the women. country who are still, you know, kind of are still struggling to balance their weekly or monthly budget. Mm. It's it's one of those things where I know every time I go to the supermarket when there's a food bank there, I will mm. always put something in there. It's like yeah. that conscious choice. And I think I now need to just remind myself to put sanitary products in there yeah. a lot more. I tend to mm. go straight for food. It's what mm. we're almost conditioned to do. I, so think, I, I think that's true for everybody, lovely. You know, I think, and it's, again, isn't it? It's awareness. Unless you're aware of it. Yes. Why would you, why would you think, oh, I'll go and buy a pack of tampons to put in there? Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when I have done it, I've actually bought the, the super and super plus tampons because I know how I feel. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the conversation is is a great one. So, Diane, I know we're going to have your links up on our site anyway, but if any of our listeners want to go and look you up right now, <laughs> how do we find you? <laughs> um so at the moment my own website is actually it's having a refresh so we won't bother with that but at the moment you can find me via menopausesupport.co.uk and there's contacts there for our group and the office and all those kinds of things and you'll also find all our free resources there too that's amazing thank you so much diane always a pleasure my absolute pleasure anytime lovely 
And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey 10, Tools to Thrive.